I'm Helen Perry, your host, and welcome to this special edition of the Just Bloody Post-It podcast. Our guest is the American-Ukrainian writer Tetiana Denford, who's using her social media community to find power and spread stories during the invasion of Ukraine. Social media right now, during a war, it's phenomenal in the sense that we have reach. We have our hands everywhere saying, please listen, here's what we need. And it's not about just donations. It's about time, supporting Ukrainian businesses. It's about understanding who we are. I don't know about you, but I have found it impossible to take my eyes off rolling news channels, websites, social media accounts this week. Like looking at updates can help make sense of what is going on when we know that for most of us, it cannot. But for many people within the Ukrainian community, not least its leadership, digital communication has been expertly harnessed to share the power of truth, conviction and human stories. It's been amazing to watch. I have been following Tetiana on Instagram for a while and I'm so pleased that she was able to find time to talk to us about first her novel Motherland, which tells the story of Julia, a character that's based on her grandmother and was a refugee fleeing Ukraine in the Second World War, exactly what is happening to families again today, 80 years on. We discuss bravery, nationhood and what the Ukrainian flag stands for how to use your social accounts now and what to share and what maybe not to share and keep listening to the end to hear a list of accounts and resources that Tetiana recommends you get involved with. First, she explained to me how growing up in New York, her Ukrainian heritage was always at the forefront of her childhood. We call it Ukrinsky Osaredok, which means the, the heart of Ukraine. So we always kept that um, within our house, despite the fact that we were living in New York City. And we had friends and family that had emigrated then. So we had friends and family also in the city. And there was a really good group of us there. And I grew up going to Ukrainian school on Saturday mornings. And um, everything was centered on Ukraine. So that's why, you know, for me... I always belonged to the Ukrainian community. I am Ukrainian. I've always been a proud Ukrainian. I still speak Ukrainian with my parents. And so I am, even though I sound very American, it, it's, that's just who I am. That is my heritage. That is my country. And you presumably have people in Ukraine now, friends, family. Are you able to keep in touch with them? It's very spotty. It's uh, it's kind yeah. of f uh, few and far between. We have family, uh, extended family out west in Lviv. So um, they are in Sinovidne, Stry, and um, around Ivano-Frankivsky Oblast. So out west, it hasn't hit them like Kiev and down south and in the Donbass area. So we're okay over there so far. Um, and I hope it stays that way. I mean, you know, the thing about Lviv and anything out West is that because we are close to the uh, Polish border on that side, I highly doubt that that Putin is going to go that close to the line. Um, but we'll see. Who knows? Uh, I... <laughs> you are a writer. 
Uh, that's how that's how I know you on Instagram, uh, and uh, your Ukrainianness was not uh, immediately obvious to me until obviously recent events overtook the account that I I was following your account, and you have written a book called Motherland. Can you tell us about that story? So I've always been writing kind of pieces here and there or articles. I was a freelance writer for fashion magazines in New York City. Um, and I'd always wanted to write a book. And I don't think I ever really found a story uh, for myself to do that. And then kind of fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, in 2015, um, and I'm very close with my parents and my grandmother. Um, so... Uh, they, it was revealed, there was a family secret that was revealed in 2015. And my mother said to me, this is quite kind of shocking. And it was something that, that Bafcha, my grandmother, who had escaped during Ukraine, in Ukraine during World War II, uh, she had kept the secret her whole life. And we had just found out about it. And it has to do with like a long lost family that we never knew we had. And, uh, I realize and you that can't, I, I'm guessing you can't fully explain without ruining the exactly. reading experience. No, I know, <laughs> no spoilers. Yeah. I know. And I, I sat down and realized that I am an only child and this, well, I was the only person that could write this. Um, and I just went ahead and did it. And it took me four years on and off because of the research. And I, had to fictionalize some things in order to tie the story together because obviously there were a lot of main characters within this real story that weren't around anymore. And I, I, I didn't want to do them a disservice by mistelling their story. So I got as much information as possible from my mother because she had to really dig with Bapcha. Bapcha had kind of blocked out a lot of this. She had had an epic and traumatic experience in, you know, during Holodomor, during World War II, she was in a German labor camp. She had been displaced with her husband, my grandfather, and their kids. And so um, I wrote this story because, and I realized, you know, when, when you're younger, you're, you don't really celebrate your heritage like maybe your parents want you to in when it comes to certain cultures, maybe. Now, of course, we, I, I'm growing up in modern day New York. Um, and my parents are saying, you should be proud that you're Ukrainian. You're going to all these Ukrainian, you're part of these dance troops and you're going to Ukrainian school and you know how to speak the language. And I pushed back against that truthfully because when I was a teenager, early twenties, well, you know, it's whatever. But I was always speaking the language. I tried to teach my children the language. They know a little bit, but, um, and then when I started writing this book, I was digging so much into my own kind of ancestors and history and all of these things. I'm thinking, you know, this is the perfect opportunity for me to understand really how deeply ingrained this is in me and my parents and my parents' parents and kind of down the line. And then I went to, um, I went to Ukraine to research my book in 2018. And it's, it's like coming home. I, I don't know how to explain the feeling, but it was stepping foot on a planet that I'd never been to before. And yet everybody speaks my language. We understand each other. Everyone has their arms open as if to say, welcome back. It was extraordinary. And, you know, I, 
motherland really kind of ripped the band-aid off for me and and I really now understand from writing that book and from talking about it so much and I talked about it so much on social media that people it's like people started getting to know my baptia and my parents and and it was so moving to me and now it's just at the forefront everybody's talking about these Ukrainian stories. And that's that's the narrative. That's what I'm trying to get across, not just about my book, but there are stories like this from so much of Ukraine. We are, we are not war and guns and and, you know, p- politics. We want nothing. We want no part of that. We are human beings with stories and mothers and sons and it, you know, th- these are the kind of things that we need to push as far as like in conversation. I mean, the parallels between what happened to uh, your character, Julia, in the book and the epic traumatic journeys that people are now undertaking as they leave Ukraine are so striking that I don't even know how to begin to articulate the distress you know that everybody is feeling looking at the pictures and seeing these new stories being being written as people experience them and and history is repeating itself and and these depictions are in my book and now people are reading that going this feels like a movie this cannot be real but it is real we are witnessing it and now that we have the the luxury in a way of having smartphones we are seeing it in real time these are journeys that my my grandparents took, my great grandparents, my father, even when he was three, he was hiding from bombings in this corner of his garden. It's just, you know, he was on a, a cattle truck. So was my grandmother. They saw dead bodies everywhere, starvation. I mean, it's, it's obscene what's happening now in 2022, because this is like a horror movie realized and it's the same playbook that was happening in the 1930s and 40s. It's heartbreaking to us as a people. I don't even, you know, the other day, I thought I was, you know, just doing, you know, I'm doing my bit, I'm writing, and I'm talking to people, and I'm, you know, push, 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 and we're all working really hard. And, you know, a lot of us are angry. And even though we're sad, we're letting our anger kind of push us forward. And then the other day, um, I was in public, and I forgot what happened. And, and my husband was with me, and I just started sobbing for absolutely no reason. And I just said I needed a hug. And it all starts kind of bubbling, you know, because we just, there's nowhere for it to go, these feelings of, and I, and I hate to be doom and gloom because we're fighting and we have to keep pushing and we have to keep standing as a country. But in quiet moments, it's really just devastating. You wrote something the other day, or you shared rather, a message that you had received from a friend that said, I, I think I understand you a little better now. Something that has been so striking, I think, to all of us observing and watching this unfold has been the bravery like we don't see anymore it's almost like a it's a concept that was something that belongs to the past or nationhood and pride in in your homeland and your your people to the extent where you will 
you know, make the greatest sacrifices imaginable. But this is who we are, which is really funny because I thought it was just me or my mother is the same and my grandmother was the same. I think women, the women in particular are really scrappy. You know, we're really, we're really feisty and we're loud and we stand up for what we believe in. And sometimes that gets us in trouble. But I thought that that was just me and my, my family. And then this is represented in so many men and women right now in Ukraine that that's why my friends are like, okay, now I get it. Now I understand where this ballsiness comes from. I was like, yeah, I think that's just who we are. We've always had to fight for our space. We have been shadowed and bullied for so long. And this is not to say that I'm trying to be divisive. That's the thing that we should talk about, like about the narrative here, because I'm not saying it's us versus them. It's, I'm just saying that the, the spirit is there. We've always had to say, hang on, get off my turf, please. This is mine and I'm proud of it. Please leave it alone. <laughs> you have, uh, unsurprisingly, as I'm sure you can think about little else, been using your online platform to uh, talk about your feelings, to amplify uh, Ukrainian voices, to share the latest that's going on. Uh, are you finding that a helpful experience? Yes. And I, I have been rightfully cynical of social media in the past, off and on, but... I've always said that there's, you know, there's always going to be dark sides to anything. Yes, it gets complicated and messy. And there are people who have platforms who have no idea what they're talking about. But at the same time, this is what we need to flood the channels with our stories. Social media right now during a war is, and I, and I don't want to use a positive word because that's going to sound, but I'm saying it's phenomenal in the sense that we have reach. We have our hands everywhere saying, please listen, here's what we need. And it's not about just donations. It's about time. It's about sharing, you, you know, supporting Ukrainian businesses. It's about understanding who we are, learning about our history, the meaning of our flag, you know, the meaning of our coat of arms, all of these things, like learning recipes, learning the, the few words of the language, that because of social media is reaching far and wide. And that is emboldening. That's why so many of us are, are basically running on fumes and very little sleep at the moment. But we're, we have more energy and we're getting our second and third and fourth wind because so many people are getting involved in whatever way they can. It doesn't matter, you know? And that, that's the positive take that we can get out of social media. And it's wonderful. The visual that's just become so, so striking is your flag. And you have written a beautiful piece for The Telegraph about the Ukrainian flag. Can you tell us what it's about, the blue and the yellow and what it means? The original flag... Uh, it was in the 900s. It went through slightly different iterations until it became the, the yellow, um, and the blue. And that, um, became solid, uh, in 1919. Now, it's been interpreted in lots of different ways. The main way, 
um, is that the sunflower gold and the sky blue represents our landscape. Now, I said in the Telegraph article that it's actually quite unique that a flag can represent a land, an actual country. Because you see lots of symbols on flags, but you, you don't get a sense of what the country is. For us, for Ukrainians, these colors are literally our land. This is what we stand on, the wheat fields, the, you know, sky blue. And it's really quite specific. It's not royal blue. It's not cerulean. It's sky blue. So that for us is our freedom. It's our land and our freedom. And we've been called the breadbasket of Europe for good reason. We are one of the largest importers of wheat, if not the largest. That is our story. And a lot of people say it, re it also represents, the colors represents calmness and hope. Seeing the flag that Ukrainians have always understood to mean something, for it to mean something to so many people around the world, it's not only beautiful, but it's also an act of protest. People are literally wrapping themselves in our flag to say, I'm going to fight for this country, this yellow and blue. People see our land as meaning something more than just a name, more than people going, where's Ukraine? I have no idea where it is on the map. It's, it's almost like a work of art at this point. And people have interpreted it in their own works of art. You are finding uh, comfort and power in your social uh, network, your community online, your um, your voice. How would you encourage other people to use theirs at this time? The best way um, is for people to use their platforms, if they are able to. Sometimes you work for a company that doesn't allow you to get involved in anything. So I completely appreciate that. But I think rather than picking sides or being political, people have to really refrain. The most important thing is refrain from being divisive. This is not an us versus them, Ukrainians versus Russians narrative at all. We are literally talking about one man who is trying to create a narrative of divisiveness for not only Eastern Europe, but Western Europe as well, potentially. You know, and I think people really need to steer clear from that because there are so many Russians who do not want this war. They support Ukraine. Just because they speak Russian and not Ukrainian doesn't mean we are divided. I think when people use their platforms and share, share stories, share humanity, share people helping others, share charities, even if you can't donate, if you share information for somebody who can donate, it creates a domino effect. But the most important thing, it's a human story. It's not about war and guns and victory and losses. It has to be about people. It has to be about everybody standing together. Yeah. What? Um, you're a writer and a storyteller. When we are powerless, where does the power of a story come from for you? Is it the, the dissemination of stories? That yep. what? How does that bring meaning, and how can that bring ugh, change? Because nations are built on stories. If you think about it, they're not built on money and power and greed. They're built on stories. You know, generations pass down stories, and we need to keep that alive. And especially now, I think the more we say, we don't even have to say anything much. We can say, I stand with Ukraine. That's all, that's all people need to say. 
it doesn't mean that you are favoriting one cause over another, because obviously right now this is eclipsing a lot of other news stories. And we have a lot of other things happening in parallel right now in other countries, and it's heartbreaking. You don't have to pick a cause, but if you feel, if anyone feels like they want to say something in, in support, just say, I stand with you. I, I hope you're okay. That's it. That's all we need to do because th that is a wave of love. Without it sounding trite, this is the light that we need right now. And I'm not saying that inaction is com being complicit. Not at all. I think people genuinely don't know what to say and they feel like it's whatever they say is going to sound stupid. Even if you can't say it publicly, say it privately. Reach out to somebody who inspires you, who's a Ukrainian and say, hey, this is amazing. Thank you. Thank you for sharing this. I'm with you. You know, it's just these little things that, that build in people's hearts. And I think that's the thing that changes the world. Community is important to writers or it's important to any group of people who love and are called to do the same thing and I, I work with a lot of people who grow communities out of from that but it's also really important to people who are separated from their loved ones or the place they want to be in uh, how have you effectively grown the communities that you have to support your your work and your interests the, the, the best advice I ever heard, um, and this is not necessarily for writers, but I, I took it as such because writing is a very solitary, uh, career and, um, it feels like sometimes you have to be your own personal trainer. And I remember reading this piece of advice from Seth Godin and he says, ship every day you got to ship. And that means that every day I will put myself in my chair in my office or wherever I am with my laptop and I will sit down and I will see what happens. If I get two lines or I get 20 pages, great. But I have to ship and I cannot be scared to ship because once that consistency happens, over time people see that consistency, the energy trans transfers. They understand who you are and what you do. And I think that's how, for me, for my social media in particular, I mean, I do it for my own writing, obviously. I have to commit myself to writing something every day. Whatever the length is, I don't care. I just have to write. That's my routine. But, you know, on social media, you have to be consistent with your message. Who are you and what do you do? You know, and I think it in the beginning, I think it was about 10 years ago or, you know, that I joined Instagram. No, more than that, 12 years ago. And I started with, I didn't really write there. I wrote on the side, but I had outfit pics or, you know, and that's kind of, it was fun. But then I, I started to ask myself, what am I doing? What, why am I here? Is this a hobby? Is this this? And I would kind of sometimes write. But once I got really consistent about my message, so I'm a writer, I'm an author, and I wrote every day consistently, I wrote. I ignored the likes, which is very hard to do because we are conditioned like a Pavlovian response to really check how many, how much engagement, how much likes. As soon as I stopped caring about that and just did it and I was proud of what I wrote every day, I cared less about the engagement and more about my work. And suddenly my engagement went up because there was an authenticity there 
for me, because I was doing it for me, not for anybody else. And I think in any creative industry, when you do it for yourself, that transfers. People start noticing that. People um, feel connected to that kind of energy. There's no agenda. There's no pretense. You are doing it for you. So I say to anybody who's trying to grow their online presence, you have to do it for you. If you believe in what you're doing and you are consistent with your message, don't don't fl- don't um, uh, clog the channels with pictures of your dog or pictures of your kids or you save that for a private account. When it comes to your work and you want that presence to grow, you gotta be consistent with your message. And it's basically marketing. It's you have to m- market yourself that way. That's what social media, a lot of it, is for now. Let's finish with some recommendations from you, if you would be good enough, for accounts, people to follow right now, useful stuff, uh, great voices. The things that I get inspired by, movies, books, what have you. I really love the author Ilya Kaminsky. He wrote a book called Deaf Republic. He is a beautiful Ukrainian poet, and especially now, it, his work is absolutely extremely pertinent and beautiful and also heartbreaking. He's amazing. There's a guy um, that always is informed as far as like charity links and stuff. His name is Joseph Stashko. He is on Twitter, but also he has a company on Instagram called Panko Candles, P-A-N-K-O Candles. He has a lot of links. Um if you want to kind of, if people want to check him out, um, and also support his business because he's, he makes candles in London and he's, he's very cool. And he is donate, he's part of a charity kind of donation currently. Um, Olya Hercules, everybody knows Olya probably. She is a, a Ukrainian chef. She is very sweet, lovely human being. She is very on top of what's happening, um, in Ukraine right now. Uh, look at accounts on Instagram like History of Ukraine, which is really interesting. It gives you a lot of kind of insight, not just about w- what we've had to deal with, but about f- fashion and music and like the landscape and, you know, where people lived. It's really interesting. Um, I think there's a, 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 an account called Ukrainians in London and also a book called Borderland by Anna Reid. That is very, very good. And it's not very dense and political, but I highly recommend it if people want to understand why Ukraine has always been so hotly contested. Um, and also the film, it's on Netflix streaming everywhere, uh, Winter on Fire. And that is a documentary about the Maidan uh, revolution. That's a kind of a small selection. And yes, I'm everywhere. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm going to go through that list that you've just provided us with. I'm going to find the links to everything. I'm going to put it all in the show notes so that people can follow you all over the place and follow all of that other great stuff too and continue to educate ourselves. Tatiana, it's been such a a great pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for your time. We stand with you. We are hopeful for the people. We need to remember humanity. So, and it's been such a pleasure, Helen. I really, really appreciate it. And um, Slava Ukraini. So I feel like you might be feeling uh, the same as me in terms of not knowing what to share, write, comment upon at the moment, where it is our place or not our place to do so. I was chatting to my friend Antonia about whether it's enough to care quietly 
And Tatiana seems to suggest that it can be to care in your actions, to just even ask a friend or colleague, Ukrainian or Russian, whether they're okay. Maybe that could be enough. Anyway, thank you for listening. I would love to know how you feel about this episode and what it's got you thinking about. And I will be back soon. Bye.